0: Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I'm your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. And Tim, today we've got a topic that frankly is just a little heavier, uh, maybe than normal uh, conversations we'd have on here, but I I think
1: it's really important too. I do too. Um, I had a hypothesis that um, I started testing over and over and over, when I say over, like three or four times. And I thought the, the thought was crystallized enough to maybe make it a podcast, to invite our listeners to jump into the conversation, the thought process. But you're right. It's a little heavy it's a it's a newer thought that we have not shared before yeah. but i think it has everything to do with maybe explaining some of the depression that we see in this generation not yeah. all but some yep. and what we can do absolutely well i know uh, a couple of months back
0: i believe it mm-hmm. was you um got to meet with a group of athletes yeah. and it really maybe Put an exclamation point on the end of exactly some of the thoughts that
1: we're thinking about in this. It really episode did. Today. So this was a Division One NCAA football team. Okay, uh, there were about ten players in the room in this conversation, uh, and actually they were they were talking about habitudes. Okay, so they were talking about the That's images, cool. but um, we were really t- uh, keeping it real that night. So it wasn't just flippant. Oh yeah, the answer is yes or whatever. We were going deeper, and one particular athlete. Um, just got very real. And he said, I got to be honest with you guys, I'm struggling with feeling depressed right now. Wow! And things got quiet because when you hear that word, you might go, oh, you're just having a bad day or is this something more? And they were all wondering, it may be something more. So he continued and he began to detail out what he was going through. And it definitely was more than a bad day. Yeah. And so I listened as the others listened. I ended up chatting with him a little bit afterwards, but it, it it sparked this thought that led to this hypothesis that I feel like is worthy of conversation today.
0: Yeah, a lot of times when we think about the issue of depression, anxiety, stress, all those things, we think, oh, this is the thing that happens to that kid who has really terrible things happen to them. Yeah, right. Or this is that thing that happens to that kid who has that chemical imbalance or whatever. And those things are true, certainly. Yeah. But I think we also have to acknowledge that And maybe it seems ironic, the most active. The most popular, the most celebrated kids on mm-hmm. college campuses yeah. are still dealing with this That's issue. That's right, and that just sort of, to me, uh, raises up this issue to an even higher level. To say we have to, we have to talk about it and begin to
1: uh, um, dig into why we think it might be happening. You're right. Yeah, Madeline Levine wrote a great book called The High Price of Privilege, and mm. she takes, talks about affluent kids from affluent areas are the ones that are most vulnerable. So it's not just the down and outer; it's the up and outer. Yeah. That uh, that are struggling, so listeners, I want you just to stop and consider for the for a few moments the last three years and their effect on young people. Um, I don't think it's a stretch to say the American population seems polarized yep. into at least two major camps, if not more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and and sub camps even regarding yeah. politics and vaccinations and masks and almost every other issue. It Seems like we're all willing to to die for these these issues. Uh, the pandemic has stolen. Nearly a million lives. So think about that. Think if you're a 16, 17 year old kid and you realize, oh my gosh, as I was growing up, a million people lost their life to this, this that's virus. Insane. That's insane. Yeah. That's huge. And the economy has felt like a yo yo. Yep. I mean, let's just be honest. It it's, really has. It's in and out, and artificial intelligence is stealing jobs now. We have to repurpose our <laughs> skill set. Yep. So while when Generation Z observes how out of control everything feels, you can't blame them for feeling a little melancholy. Yeah. Okay, this is this is what I might feel or you might feel, listeners, if you were going through growing up in this particular day. So there was a Barna research poll. I I love reading what Barna puts out because their research always is is on topics of interest. Yeah, they do they're a lot asking of research insightful questions. Yeah, yeah. They discovered that 82% of members of Generation Z, so these would be mostly teens. Yep. But eight out of ten believe they've experienced at least one. Trauma. Hmm. Okay. And for many, it was COVID-19. Yeah. Okay. The CDC reports emergency room visits for attempted suicide among teenage girls was up 51.6% from 2019 to 2021. Insane. So that was the pandemic because it was between those three years. But I mean, 51%. Yeah. Yeah. And then as I listened to focus groups of, of 17 members of Gen Z, ages 16 to 24, they said they don't blame anybody, anyone in particular, for all of this mess, but they do say they feel postponed and penalized.
0: Yeah. I mean, you 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 said, we can't blame them for feeling a little melancholy. I'd say we can't blame them for feeling a little more than just melancholy. Yeah, right. um, and I think that's exactly, we're we're pointing at a lot of the factors that are sort of coming together. Um, but it's
1: causing certainly depression, but it's also causing some other emotions as it well. It is. Yeah. So the two, the two that I really want to zero in on today is I was finding a a disproportionate amount of young adults that that we love and believe in; these are not bad kids, uh, experiencing two emotions: anger and depression. Mm. Anger and depression, and it is now 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 common knowledge that there's a link between the two, and that's where we want to go today. Yeah. yeah. Well, we could certainly talk about
0: you know the research. I think we're going to get into that some, but um, it it actually reminds me of a quote I read years ago from Richard Rohr, who says, "Anger is the guardian of sadness."
1: Ah. Uh. Interesting. Isn't that? Yeah.
0: And it's such a great picture if I think about the times I got the most upset. Almost always it was followed by feeling very low, right? Sad about something or depressed about something or whatever. Uh, Those two things, those two emotions
1: are often conjoined. They are. Yeah. So let's talk about the connection between anger and depression. Believe it or not, it was actually Sigmund Freud. Oh, interesting. Who was the first to popularize, probably not the first one to say it, but make it popular, that depression is anger turned inwards. Hmm. So you, you might be feeling very down or very depressed. And I can say for me as a male, very often the way it comes out is I'm mad. Yeah, But mad is not the top. It's just what's on the forefront. Yes, What's really down below is I'm, I'm feeling down or yeah. feeling depressed about this. And of course, since Freud's day, several studies have found that depression, anxiety, and anger are all linked together. And sadly, when people think anger is a bad emotion, they choose to just push it deeper inside. Yeah. So we need to make sure we're not just saying, well, if you're angry, that's just bad. Don't do that. Anger equals bad. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Um, So what are the dangers of suppressed anger? Well, it can be an underlying cause of all sorts of harmful emotional responses. Anger that's not appropriately expressed can disrupt relationships. I think we've all seen that. Affect thinking and behavior patterns and create a variety of physical problems. Hmm, that's so, really interesting. Yeah. So listeners, I just want you to ponder this, just reflect on this. Anger and depression fitting together, okay? Yeah. Not in every case of depression, but for millions, I believe, I think it starts with um, anger and I start just, uh, I, it comes it comes out in, in depression. Mm. So I'd like to focus now on the suppression of depression um, or, or the suppression of anger and how that comes out in depression. Okay. So there's little doubt that mental health problems for Gen Z uh, are are there's many causes for them. So Absolutely, I'm, yeah. I'm not saying that anger's it. Yeah. I mean, there are. Oh my gosh, the overwhelming amount of input coming at them on social media yep. is huge. Uh, the number of mass shootings that are yeah. occurring almost every year. Yeah. Um, and some of the causes for depression are genetic. Yes. They just things out, out of your gene. control. Yeah. That's right. My family line has has a, a line of depression, and and you might even need meds for that. But. Um, I just want to talk about something that I don't think we talk enough about. I wonder if when Gen Z looks at the landscape of our culture today, if they're pondering, the grownups didn't do a very good job managing our lives. Yeah. And they've got some argument I, for that's that. That's right. They do. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not throwing all of us adults under the bus. I'm just saying, if you look around... At leaders that are my age or 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 maybe not quite as old as me. I know that's I'm pretty old, but 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 just they're looking up and they go, You guys didn't do a very good job of this. Yeah. And and I think they're right. But I'm thinking, of course they might go, Well, if I don't have a place to express this, I don't go home and say, Dad, you did an awful job. Your generation's really Yeah. You just suppress it and now yeah. you don't feel this, like you have one person to point to, and so you just kind of get and this percolating time bomb begins to yeah fester. So the first 10 to 15 years of their existence, Gen Z, our data shows, maintain much of the same path as the millennials. Very civic-minded, work within the system, let's make it better. Today, however, their anger is surfacing on the outside. Yep. And we have seen it. In fact, stay with me, listeners. We've seen angry protest about climate change led by Greta Thunberg and teens from all over the world, millions of them. Yep. Uh, angry protests for gun control, led by Cameron Kasky and the students of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Remember that? Yep. Shooting a few years March back. March for Our Lives and all yeah, that. Yeah, right. Uh, angry protests surrounding racial equality, yes. uh, led by millions of young adults, and their older counterparts too. But there were a lot of Gen Z and millennials marching, uh, Black Lives Matter. And while I find missteps in every one of these protests, none of them were perfect. I'm not arguing they were. I'm just saying it doesn't negate the fact that young people are angry at the state of our world. And I think they're thinking, how could you let injustice remain for so long? Yeah. And I got to admit, as an adult, I wonder the same thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is such an interesting and very deep topic to look at. If you're, if you're a young person, you're turning 17, 18 years old, and you're growing up in a world where all of these things are happening. And not only all those things, but the economy's not doing so great college is really expensive and I'm faced with either not having a degree or walking away with debt, right? That's a decision. A lot of people, young people face uh, feeling like I can't afford to make rent if I'm in this situation. It it just feels like there's so many challenges that have mounted up. No wonder they're looking at the outside world and going, well, my mom did everything she could, but generally the world we're talking about, the adults, the people in power, whatever, whatever,
1: have led us to a space where they're handing us a world that just doesn't yes. feel like it was managed
0: very yeah, well. Yeah,
1: it's true. Yeah. I, I and and Andrew, you know, I'm one generation older than you, maybe two, but we both see the same thing. Yeah, I'm not blaming on one person. Sometimes I need to look in the mirror and say, "How did I not do this too well along the way?" But um, that's, that's just a reality. Yeah. And, and I'm just saying, even though we don't like angry young people, there might be some warrants out for a little bit of that, of that Uh, anger. I'd agree. And maybe if they've not found a way to express it, you might see it showing up in depression. Yeah. So here's another piece of data. So we're not done. Uh, another piece of Barna research, uh, talks about Generation Z confirming that young people no longer trust, or many millions of young people yes. no longer trust, traditional institutions that have become pillars of our society: uh, education, yep, business, corporate America, yep, uh, government, yep, uh, the church, yep. law enforcement, yep. You know, defund the police. We've yep. heard that a few times. So believing our institutions are defunct in many different areas, young people are aiming, and here's the term we we hear, Andrew. They're deconstructing culture. Yes. My guess as listeners, that's not the first time you've heard the word deconstruct. <laughs> this is a term that's thrown around uh, cultural anthropologist, sociologist. Young people are deconstructing. And what I mean by that, if I can just come up with my own term now is they're taking apart the traditional institution and say, why didn't it work? Yes, yes. and it's I don't think it's working so yes. I'm not going to participate. I'm not going to church anymore. I'm not trusting the college. And that tuition you just charged me, yeah. I don't think is worth it. Uh, the government, we, I don't know if either party is really trusted right now by too many people. I would agree. And, and so, I'm, I, again, I know I'm talking in vener- very general terms, but I feel like they're not trusting traditional norms to, to make this. So what are they doing? In their heads, they're deconstructing. Yeah. I talked to my daughter about this, and she's a great young lady at 33 years old. She's deconstructing some things. And we'll talk about that. I, I love the fact that we both have open, candid conversations. I'm deconstructing some of this. And I cringe because as her dad, I want her to stick with X, Y, Z. Stick yeah. with this school you or this whatever. And she's going, I, I, and you know what I'm having to do as a dad? I need to let her do it. Yeah. Because if I don't let her do it, what does she just buy into whatever I say and doesn't think for herself? Yeah. But I just, it's just hard. And my guess is if you're a parent listening, a teacher listening, a professor, a coach, you're seeing some deconstruction, some lack of trust yep. in, and respect for uh, leaders. I think this is what's going on in their minds.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of leaders out there. I mean, this is happening. It's now starting to hit the business world, which is really interesting. We're having more yeah. and more conversations with leaders who feel this way, where it's just like, why does it feel like they're challenging everything? Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I think a, a lot of times we, it can be easy to make the assumption that these young kids just want everything to change. Yeah, yeah. They want it done their way or whatever it is. I actually think the true deeper reason is exactly what you're talking about. They are looking at a system that we maybe maybe we would recognize as adults. Yeah, it's not the best, but it's also traditional. And it was yeah. the way we dealt with it and, and we whatever, got used to it and we got used to it. Yeah. It's a, it's a normalized defect. Yeah. And therefore we think, well, what change do we really need to make? Yeah. These young people do not think the same way. Yeah. That's They're right. They're looking at that and going, no, no, no. If it's if it's broken, we should take it apart, figure out what's broken, and then put it back together. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I think that's the shift. I, I think a lot of times that we don't, don't exactly know how to uh, process
1: that with them. It's true. I talked to a school principal recently, and I said, these uh, teens aren't just wanting to tweak it. They want to reinvent it. Yes. And that's a, a description of, we're not just you know polishing or giving a facelift to something, we're reinventing it. Now, here's the last big idea before we talk about what do we do. I happen to believe that while deconstruction is explainable, um, deconstruction without good critical thinking can be disastrous. Yes, yeah. So So let me say that again. Deconstruction, by the way, let me just, let me just hasten out. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. My generation deconstructed back in the '60s That's and '70s. True. Yeah, things were being deconstructed. I don't know about this. I don't know about that. Pollution was a big issue. Yeah. Uh, the environment was a big issue. The Vietnam War was a big. There was some deconstruction going on there. So every young person or every young generation, I should say, does deconstruct. But if we d- haven't built critical thinking skills, you're tearing everything apart. But to, don't you don't have critical thinking to reconstruct? Uh, We're in a bad place. Yes. Yeah. So time and time again, educators bemoan the fact that we failed to cultivate critical thinking skills in students. I don't blame the students. Yeah. If they don't have it, we didn't do it very well. Yeah. They're conditioned by sound bites, 140 character tweets, short TikTok videos that we all love, right? Yeah. And And memes... Uh, teens and adults scarcely take the time and energy to deeply reflect on issues, to see all sides of an issue, including the opposing side. I talked to my daughter about this one. You need to see the... I know you don't agree. Just look at it. Yeah. Um, And by the way, I need to do that too. Yes. Social media is often their battleground, but it's a place where people react, not reflect. And instead, anger is expressed, have we not heard about angry tweets before, perhaps to relieve the deep-seated depression they feel over our wounded, society.
0: Yeah. That's just often what's happening. And uh, I, I heard a great uh, thinker often say that it's hard to have thick conversations on in thin places. Oh, that's a great. Say that again. Isn't that good? It's hard to have thick conversations in thin spaces. Yeah. And I think that's what she was pointing out um, uh, was that th- the reason that we're struggling mm-hmm. in all these places is you can't have a really good conversation yeah. when you're limited to 140 characters. Yeah. You can't yeah. have a really deep conversation when the people who came to the platform where you posted that content were expecting something. Something short and sweet yeah. and, and sticky and all those yeah, things. Yeah. And, and the reality is, I think we're those those spaces that we've created for people to have conversations are really good at starting the conversation. Yeah. But often really poor at having
1: the deep conversation uh, in that same space. Yep. So I'd like to take the last few minutes we have and talk about the art of reconstruction. Mm. Okay. So many are depressed and angry. We've established that. And if this is due to the realities we've just talked about, our work is cut out for us as leaders. Our steps are gonna, won't require us to be a therapist. I'm not calling all of you to get a counseling degree. Just to become a caring leader who believes in the next generation of adults and their right to reconstruct and deconstruct. Mm-hmm. Ours did it. They need to do it too. So first, I'm just going to recommend we listen to them so they feel heard. One of my favorite quotes of late is author David Augsburger, who made a profound statement, and I think it's it's proven true. Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. Mm. So just hearing someone that feels like I'm it's giving huge. love to yeah. them. Yeah. So our first step should not be to correct or improve. It's not to say, don't deconstruct that. that you know, don't say that. Listen and make sure they feel heard. Uh, We've got to offer that listening ear, and listening earns our right later to be heard. Yeah, well said. So then, after that, we must empathize with them so they feel understood. So listening makes them feel heard. Empathizing makes them feel understood, at least it should, anyway. When someone is heard and understood, they feel validated. And really, that's the psychological term that 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 my daughter would use yeah. make sure they feel validated you yeah. know and i know that's true yeah so every human being possesses an inward tension and an emotional need to be validated as a person we empathize when our verbal that's our words our nonverbal our body language and our paraverbal meaning our tone expresses that we comprehend what they're going through and the, and 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 we and they don't need to project their self-worth now it's it's okay i feel authenticated by you at this point and that leads us to a final Act, I think we need to practice. And that's now we've earned the right to guide them Mm. uh, so they can find a path forward. Um, I think only when we've taken the two steps uh, that I just mentioned, listening and empathizing, that we've earned the right to even now say, okay, could I offer a a thought or two on this reconstruction idea? Yeah, yeah. What if we tried this? Or what did, or let me tell you what we did in the 60s that didn't work, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I just believe this is the way to go about it. So I suggest both of you, the younger generation and you, swap stories and practice reverse mentoring, learn from each other, uh, and then reflection and critical thinking can begin to take place because we now see there's two sides, maybe four sides to this issue, and we can make it happen.
0: A lot of times that guide step, because I love that advice, the listen, empathize guide, a lot of times that guide step may simply just be helping them figure out what the right question is. Yes, right? that's right. The next time you get together with your folks, rather or with people your age, rather than just going, hey, I'm angry about this issue, maybe the question is this that yeah, you should bring. That's right. And sometimes that even a simple uh, knowing the right question can often lead you to beginning to go, oh, you know what? I hadn't thought about, maybe we could do this or maybe we could, and all of a sudden we start critical thinking and, and and we begin
1: to work towards solutions. I'm actually glad you brought that up because I think when a person, when a young person is actually in this realm, like I'm thinking, I'm deconstructing, they're deep enough. You need to lead with questions. Yes. Lead with explanations. Yes. Um, the older a child gets into their teens and early young adult years, they need to be led with questions. I love that. So I'm going to close by saying, I think some of our constructs need to be deconstructed. Yes. There are some things that aren't working. Let's just, in fact, I think most people would agree, politics isn't working right (laughs) now. Something's gone terribly wrong. Yeah, that's right. So we need to teach them to think critically about improving their world, maybe a world that they don't understand. Deconstruction must be followed by a reconstruction of something better. Yes. So don't let them be satisfied. In fact, you know what, Andrew, my my favorite illustration of this, I didn't even share, but I want to share as I close. I really had an epiphany watching a movie four times. I'm not kidding. Okay. Okay. Did you see Joker? I did. Yeah, with Joaquin Phoenix. Yes. I, I saw it four times, not because it was such a jolly movie. It is not a jolly movie. In fact, listeners, if you've not seen it, I'm going to try not to be a spoiler alert here, but it's the story of this young man who's got terrible mental health issues. Depression is one of them. Yeah. And then his counselor that he's seeing, the funding goes away, so he can't see her anymore. One thing after another goes wrong, and he finally gets his hands on a gun. And some vigilantes are on the train and they're beating him up. And so, and he pulls it out and just shoots them all, shoots all three. Yeah. Well, it's a horrible plot. It's a horrible plot. Yeah. But it's intriguing because you see here's a young man with mental health issues. He gets angry. Yeah. The only way he can see to express that anger is with a gun. Yeah. Now, in most cases, that's not going to happen, but I'm just saying, they'll find a way to express it. If we can lead them with listen, empathize, guide, they find a good way to express the anger. We yeah. need to listen go, I guess I'd be angry too if I were you. Yeah. That does make sense. Yeah. Now let's put together something that can somehow make it better. That's what I'm lobbying for. Yeah, that's so well
0: said. That's so well said. It's such a... Uh, that movie often feels like a, a bleak picture, but that's one of the most powerful things of it is he he's trying to get better, and there are so many people that want him to get better, but the, it's almost like the system feels like it's yes, against him. that's right. And, and it feels like he's tried every single little thing that he can, and uh, there's nothing left except for this last final You're decision. exactly right.
1: And what I remember pulling for that film was... He is satisfied with deconstruction, not reconstruction. Yeah. So forget about you know improving society. Forget about seeing the bigger picture. Forget about serving a greater need. Yeah. Forget about morals, values, and ethics. I'll just end the life because I feel like I've been able to somehow vent... My, my emotion on the inside that got suppressed. Yeah. So I, that's, that's why reconstruction always has to follow deconstruction, but if it's going to happen, we're going to need to be a listening ear and a guide along the way.
0: Yeah, that's so good. Thanks, Tim. Well, to close our time together, as we were thinking about what does it look like? when a young person begins to not just deconstruct, but see how their deconstruction can lead to uh, reconstruction, it it leads to some of the most beautiful, wonderful stories that we could possibly imagine. In fact, we're trying all the time to just continue to collect those stories so that we can tell those stories, because this is not just a generation of young people who are deconstructing, there are examples. In fact, lots of really exciting ones of young people who are going,
1: you know what? I'm not gonna stop there. That's right. And you've got one really great story that I I wanna close on. it started in this young lady's life at eight years old. Her wow. name is Lucy, Lucy Blaylock. She was eight years old when she first learned how to sew. And I think she learned from her grandmother. So there's the two generations. Yeah, I together. love that. Um, and she, she learned how to sew. She could make a blanket for her friend's birthday. Oh, that's so great. it's all pretty, pretty innocent and, and so forth. But after the party, Lucy asked her mom if they could make another one for a child in need. So she'd already been thinking altruistically, and her mother thought, oh my gosh, i got a saint for a daughter here. For an
0: eight-year-old, yeah.
1: So she posted the idea on social media and got 16, not one, 16 messages from parents of kids who suffered from various struggles. And instead of just choosing one child, Lucy and her mom began sewing blankets for all 16. I love that. Yeah. So it was a long process, but Lucy's compassion outweighed her impatience. I love that thought there. Yes. And she continued until she reached her goal and beyond. So fast forward, she's older now. Uh, Three years later at age 11, Lucy had made 500 blankets for kids in 14 countries. Amazing. Thanks to social media. It can be redemptive. Uh, She was hearing about needs and she was sewing blankets. And she's just giddy about this. She loves it. Her her hands are sore. I'm sure. But but she's really... (laughs) In fact, here's what she said. It makes me excited when I think of the kids getting the package in the mail and opening it. I always hope they'll know someone cares about them. It feels good to know that I'm helping all those kids to feel loved. And I'm just saying, Lucy, thank you that beginning at eight years old, you reconstructed what needed to be deconstructed. I love it. I love it. My favorite thing about that story is how
0: she goes, I should make one blanket. And then people go, Actually, you should make 16. She goes, Fine, I'll make 500. You know, it's like, isn't that just the way it goes? That's Gen Z for you, baby. I love I, it. I love it. I yeah. love it. Well, obviously. There are so many deep issues out there in the world that Gen Z is struggling with, reconstructing, honestly helping us adults maybe think about in a better way than we ever have. And while that may seem like a simplistic example, I think it's a perfect picture of the mindset this generation has. They see problems that need solving, and they come up with really great ideas. In fact, this is an issue, a subject really that we wrote about in our book, Generation Z Unfiltered. We saw a generation of kids with so many great ideas, and often they just didn't know how to leverage their ideas and actually put those things into action. Yeah. Um, And so if you're interested in finding out more about these kids, where does their mindset come from? What are they working towards? What challenges do they want to tackle and solve? We talked about so much of that in our book, Generation Z Unfiltered. So if you want to dig deeper, I would commend that resource to you. Uh, Generation Z Unfiltered covers nine key challenges. We believe Generation Z is facing uh, today in our world. We started writing this book pre pandemic, but so much of what's happened in the pandemic really goes back to stuff we wrote in that book. And it's just gotten more so. Absolutely. So, if you are interested in picking that up, you can head on to growingleaders.com and click on the store button, or you can just go straight to Amazon and pick up a copy uh, there. We'd welcome that as well. Well, as always, if you would rate this podcast, give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We really would appreciate that. If you found this podcast helpful, maybe this was an idea that resonated with you and you thought of somebody else who needs to listen to it, please go ahead and pass it to them. We would greatly appreciate that. Um, if you want to connect with us on social media, we are at growing leaders and at Tim Elmore on all the platforms. And then finally, if you've got an idea for this podcast, maybe something you, uh, an idea that you're working on that you think we should talk about, or maybe it's a, a person you think we should interview, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growing We love getting those from you, Tim. Thank you so much for having this thought, working it into some great content and then sharing it with us. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening.